I don't usually start my sermons with a complaint. I'm a Florida boy. Really? Some of you know that uh, being a good Christian, I put out a fleece before the Lord and said, I told you last November that uh, I'll know you want me to stay in Summit County if it reaches 100 degrees in the summer. I think God got the wrong message. Uh, yeah. I'm waiting for God to call me to plant a church in Barbados. Even Nancy got up this morning, looked out the window and said, maybe that Barbados idea isn't so bad after all. <laughs> wow. I've not seen this before. This is like shocking to me. Okay. Enough about complaints. Let's go on to warmer times. <laughs> How many of you remember the kind of the slip and slide, the uh, used to the water flow down it, you'd run and slide? Let me see. How many of you remember that? Oh, most of you. Excellent. It's a metaphor that works. How many of you have seen the kids running in the sprinklers outside? How many of you did that yourself? Awesome. Wow, you're still kids at heart. How many of you have done it recently? <laughs> what happens when you do that? What happens to you? You get wet. That's exactly right. You get wet, right? Do you run in the house all wet? No. Yeah, you do. What does your mom say? Yeah, like <laughs> mom doesn't like it. Perfect. That's what I wanted to hear. Yeah, you get all wet and you run in the house and mom doesn't like it because you're all wet, right? All right. All right. Excellent. We're going to come back to that. You're probably wondering what in the world that has to do with Jesus and a Samaritan woman. We'll figure that out in just a second. However, last week I introduced the idea that, um, excuse me, that coming to uh, Christ was like being let out of the cage. I suspect after all my conversations all week, I had a ton with a bunch of you, thank you by the way for your feedback, that many of us, when we became Christians, we actually begin to think differently, that we have more rules and regulations to obey and follow, right? And if anything, it feels like we're more in the cage. So I thought all week about what a good metaphor is to help you understand what life is in the cage. And I dawned on me, I have one right here. Life in the cage is one long selfie. Oh, I got to get a picture with this bass because I love bass. Right? Oh, the keyboard. Man, I just love the keyboard. That's what life is like in the cage. When you get led through the cage door... Life begins to look a little differently. You begin to see a little bit more panoramic view. So instead of a selfie, now you're taking a picture of... of no, I don't want to take a picture of the snow. <laughs> you're beginning to see things a little differently, right? That's what becoming a Christian should look like. It is for freedom... That Christ has set you free. Galatians 5. That's the very core. Now he does warn us. Don't use your freedom to indulge your own personal desires. But that is the reason we turn to Christ. That should be the experience as we reach the cage. I mentioned last week I used a picture of the circus with all the animals. I remember as a young boy my dad taking me back there and you had all the animals in the cage, and they were pretty, they were okay, they were comfortable. Um, 
they just didn't know that that's not what they're created for. And I ask you, how many of you have pets? And most of you raise your hand. What happens if you turn your pet loose in the wild? Could they function? No, they couldn't. Even though that's what they're created for. They're not created to be kept in a cage. Neither are we. And so becoming a Christian is where we, we, we come to that place where we begin to tend very gently step out of the cage. It's a terrifying place to be. It's a hard place to be. It's a challenging place to be. Later on in the series, you're going to see in this particular aspect, that's why the Holy Spirit is so critical because He comes and lives within us to guide us through that journey to help us understand what life outside of the cage is like and why do we experience the things that we experience. So this story in John 4, thank you, Judy, for reading that. This story is often approached from the standpoint of worship, which is great. That's kind of what one of the things he talks about. I want to look at it from a completely different picture, uh, different lens. I said last week that most of us are not equipped. We don't know how to help people step out of the cage. And where do we take them? Where do we go with that? So I want you to picture, I asked a question about the sprinkler. I want you to picture Jesus is all wet. And here's what I mean by that. You're designed to impact people. When you run in the house all wet, you have an impact. Your mom doesn't like it. You know what I did as a kid? There were six of us in my family, six kids. And uh, my mom and dad left one time, and we decided to have a water fight out in the yard. Good idea. My oldest brother was a teenager. My two older brothers were teenagers. And so I'm looking at you because I'm giving you ideas. Sorry, Mom. And before you know what happened, we ended up in the house in a water fight. We had the hose in the house, in the living room. And then you know what happened? We got the mustard and the ketchup out of the fridge and started squirting each other. We're soaking wet, covered with mustard and ketchup. The living room is a disaster. And guess who walks through the front door? Mom. Oh, boy. You see, God created you to have impact. You don't have control over that. What you have control over is what kind of impact you have. We could have stayed outside. I'm not quite sure even to this day how we ended up in the living room, but we did. We ended up in the living room, and it was a complete mess. It took us a long time to clean it all up. You're designed by God to have impact. You're, des- you're designed to impact the people around you. And you see, this story, this is a fabulous story of Jesus himself crossing a bunch of barriers to help somebody realize freedom. You know enough about the Samaritan woman. Was she free or was she in prison? Proverbially. She's in prison, isn't she? She's unhappy. She's been through five men and with a different man now. We know because we have a clue. It says that in verse uh, 6, it was about noon, sixth hour. It's about noon when Jesus came there. That's the hottest part of the day. People didn't go to wells at six, at six hour at noon. That's the hot time of the day. That's when you engage in siestas in the Middle East. Not only that, but they didn't go alone. Women didn't go to wells alone. It wasn't safe. And here she is all by herself at the hottest part of the day 
without anyone else. That is a clue right there that we're talking about a woman that did not fit, wasn't accepted anywhere in her own society. She's alone. She's a very immoral person. There's no greater prison than that. Probably searching for happiness, never finding it. And finding yourself at this stage of life, a little bit older, alone. Well, what's intriguing about this is that verse 4, the way the story starts, is that he had to go through Samaria. Every time he uses that language in John, he had to go there. That's a statement that he, he really had to go. Because the Jews didn't typically pass through Samaria. They went around it. You see, they didn't have a good relationship. Back a few years, it's a complex history how they got there. But they had, they had uh, the Samaritans had desecrated the Jewish temple. And the, Jew, the Jews had destroyed the temple on Mount Gerizim, which is where they would have worshipped. They didn't have a good relationship at all. The Jews avoided them. Didn't, didn't want anything about, to do with them. The Jewish leadership, the Jewish, uh, uh, the Jewish theologians taught that uh, the Jewish women were, un, were unclean one week a month. You know what I'm referring to. But the Samaritan woman, women were unclean all the time. So the fact that he asked her for a drink with, his own, with her own cup or whatever it is she uses was astounding to her. And she comments on it. She says, uh, he says, will you give me a drink? And she says, you're a Jew. You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me that? Because if he had given, if he had taken that cup to drink, according to Jewish tradition, he would have been unclean. So he crossed three boundaries here, three very significant social boundaries. Number one, he's talking to a Samaritan. Jews didn't do that. Number two, he's talking to a woman. And the Jewish leadership taught that a man should never have a conversation with a woman unless it's a close relative. But even more importantly than that, the third barrier is that she's a very immoral woman. And Jesus crossed all three of those barriers to have this conversation. This is a masterpiece of a story of what it means to help someone, in this case a Jew, helping a non-Jew. So we've crossed an ethnic uh, line to step out of the cage and to move to a place she's never been before. She probably can't even imagine it based on her response. You get the picture? Jesus is, a, is the classic example of what it means to use our God-created design to impact others for his kingdom. Did you notice there's no criticism? Well, if anybody ever deserved criticism, she did, didn't she? In their culture. The own, she doesn't even go to the well with her own women. That's how alone she is. There's no criticism. He entices her to start out with. And he says, if you knew the gift, verse 10, of God, who was it asked you for a drink? You would have asked him, he would have given you living water. And they have this whole conversation about water. And here's where he gets a metaphor of you become a spring of water, a fountain welling up. Now, remember where they are. They're in the desert. Water is a precious commodity and they're sitting at a spring. So he used the metaphor right there. This is the water. He's wet. He's impacting her. Just picture the water just shooting up like a fountain. 
And she's caught up in it and doesn't even know it. She's puzzled by it. What kind of water is this? Give me this water. I want that kind of water. Then I don't have to ever come back here alone anymore. Then he does the next part. He begins to expose her. And what does he say? Go call your husband. She said, I have no husband. He said, you're right. You've had five. And the man you're with right now isn't your husband. So he just let her know, I know the truth about you. And I love you anyway. That's a powerful message. Is there any more powerful message than that? In fact, the very best marriages are ones where we know the truth about each other and we love each other anyway. We know things about each other no one else in the world knows, not even our children. Is there any greater place to be in the world than that? That kind of acceptance where the person that knows the truth makes the decision to say, I love you anyway. That's what Jesus is communicating here. He's already told her he loved her because, number one, he's willing to talk to her. He's willing to take an unclean cup and drink from it. He's willing to sit with her. No one else would do that, not even her own women. So he's already demonstrated love, and then he tells the truth. I know the truth about you, and it didn't stop me from doing this. This is a picture of leading someone out of the cage. That's really what it is. Somehow, for many of us, we've managed to communicate that when you become a Christian, we're actually leading you into the cage. More rules, more regulations, more rituals that you have to obey. And I would suggest it's actually the opposite. You were made for freedom. That's what you were made for. She says, I can see that you are a prophet. This looks like a distraction, doesn't it? It's not really a distraction. She doesn't really change the topic here. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, right? Really what she's doing is she's now exposing one of the deeper conundrums in her life. Because the Samaritans did not believe in prophets between Moses and the final prophet. So they didn't accept any of the prophets of the Old Testament. There's Moses and then the final prophet. And for her to make an acknowledgement that you are a prophet... It's a very loud statement. He goes on here. Our ancestors worshipped, you know, it's past tense, worshipped on this mountain. That's true, historically true. What she's doing is she's raising to the surface the cause of the division between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Jews had destroyed the temple a century before. So she's highlighting a historical fact. She's, think of it this way, she's tentatively stepping into his world and saying, could you be a prophet? If that's true, then the Samaritans were wrong and the Jews were right. That's hard to do. That speaks about her willingness, her hunger, her desire. Jesus is offering her something she had never tasted. Love. Fellowship. Acceptance. And Jesus never criticizes her. As he says in the chapter before, he didn't come to judge. Elsewhere he says he didn't come to condemn. He came to love the world. And this is a classic example of what that looks like. So he's gone from, in chapter 3, Nicodemus, the highest of the high, in chapter 4, to a Samaritan immoral woman, the lowest of the low, to illustrate 
what life outside the cage looks like and what it means to guide someone. You see the picture? Does this make sense to you? And so Jesus leads her on a journey. So she starts out in verse 9. You're a Jew. And then in verse 11, she calls him sir. You don't even have anything to drink with. And then in verse 19, she calls him a prophet. You see the journey that she's on? She's walking to the cage door. And then finally, in verse 25, she says, I know that the Messiah, who is called the Christ, the anointed one by God himself, is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. The implied question is, is that you? He's taken her on a journey she's never been on before. And now she asks the question, is that you? And he says, I, the one speaking to you, am he. She's now here. If you read the rest of John 4, she goes back with courage, I think. And she asks the men of the village, I just saw a man who told me everything about my private life. And then she asks a question, a very intriguing question, which is very clear in Greek. She asks it in a way that expects a no answer. He can't be the Messiah, can he? There's no way these men are going to listen to her. No way. The women won't even go with her to the well. And she says, there's no way he could be the Messiah, can he? But that intrigues them. And they say, well, we'll go check it out for ourselves. And they do. And pretty soon the whole town comes to Jesus. This is a picture of what impact looks like. This is a picture of what each of you are created to be like in the lives of your friends. It's a wonderful story, a great case study of what it means to lead someone from a cage or prison to freedom. And the impact is everyone in the village came to Christ. Because they're all feeling the same, just like you. Insecure. I'm insecure. You just don't know what I pretend not to be. I am lonely. I've never met a person that said, this is Nirvana. You're looking at it. <laughs> I have said to the Lord a thousand times, if this is all there is, I'm really disappointed. <laughs> no, everything inside of us is moving us up here. We know there's something better, don't we? And this is what it means, I think, to be a true Christian, is to not only give a picture, but to lead people out of the cage. So they can experience that. Now, don't forget, the Holy Spirit is a silent member of the Trinity. He's the one in the background making it happen. This has become clearer throughout the series. Jesus didn't leave us alone. He sent the Holy Spirit specifically to walk with us as we take these tentative steps, as we move from selfies to pictures to freedom. He's the one that walks with us as we move outside. That's his role. That's why Jesus said you have to learn to worship in spirit and in truth. Truth isn't all there is. There's a lot more to it than that. The whole Bible, all of the scriptures are showing us the richness of understanding the truth which sets us free and the walk with the Spirit, which brings all that joy. They go together. She experienced it. That's what you're created for. You're created both to step out of the cage and live in freedom. But more importantly than that, 
You're created to be all wet and to get the person next to you all wet. Father, thank you. Thank you for not forgetting us. And more importantly, not forgetting us, because you certainly remembered your promise. We do know that. But you did so much, much more. You've given us a glimpse of what we're really created to be like. And then you sent your spirit to help us realize that and discover it and be courageous and try things. Uh, You've made us for that purpose. And Lord, for those of us that have found that freedom, we enjoy it. No longer do I feel the need to criticize or judge people. What I desire is to be with them and love them, and that's because of your and your spirit. Thank you, Lord, for blessing us so richly with that kind of life, the way we can impact others, for you and your kingdom, to show them the truth. Thank you. We pray these things in your son's name, because we do believe in him. Amen. Could ask the ushers to come.